He said that the 49th chapter of the Qur'an, just to remind ourselves, he said that the word Qur'an comes from a word which means to bring something together. So, in, in the second chapter, um, the menstrual cycle of a woman is called Thalatha Taquru. And they called it Quru from Qara'a because the Arabs, medieval times, ancient, actually in classical times, considered like the blood would gather in the uterus. So they called it Quru. Same word, Quran. And, and the idea is that um, the Quran makes us whole, brings us together. Uh, and, and when we're centered, when we have balance, then like we're able to like attain like spiritual agency. Um, so within that vein, we started from the first chapter of the Quran, and we said that that chapter really introduces us to some of the concepts of faith that are central to our religion, um, our relationship with God, our relationship with practice, our relationship with prophets, our relationship with revelation, our relationship with character, inner and outer character, all that's really found. Um, in the first chapter. And then this chapter, the 49th chapter, deals with how we treat each other. Um, and we said there are really five contexts for that. One is um, our character with faith. Again, Fatiha, first chapter. Then our character with sinners. We talked about, like, last week. Um, first of all, we're all sinners, you know. Every Every sinner got a future, every saint got a past, like J. Cole said, although he didn't say he's quoting someone. But everyone has certain challenges in their life. So how do we deal with ourselves? And then how do we deal with people that we know um, may not be living up to what we find acceptable within our, our sphere of influence? Uh, and, and that's where we stopped. And we said, then the chapter talks about how we deal with believers, the believing community in front of each other, and then how do we deal with each other behind each other's back, and then how do we deal with people in general. Um, these are five kind of contexts of this chapter that, that's going to be said over and over again. We also mentioned that the chapter was sent towards the end of the prophet's life. So it's like actually the 13th year, the year that he passed away in Medina, uh, the city of Medina. And last, last time we were talking about How do we confirm information uh, when people are saying things about other people, going into detail, especially if it's from someone whose, question, whose character is questionable or unknown. And then we talked about the importance of like preserving people's, the assumption of people's goodness. Uh, some religion, religious traditions approach humanity from the point of original sin. Um, Islam approaches humanity from the point of original goodness. And we believe that that goodness is certain. And we have a principle that says certainty cannot be removed with doubt or assumptions. So our initial engagement people 
is to assume the best about them. Not to be naive, right? Not to get played, but to make sure that we're equitable and just with people. And then, in the next verse that we're going to start today, um, which is the seventh verse, it says, وَعْلَمُوا The word i'lam is an order. And i'lam uh, is an order which implies that you don't know something. But it means you don't know something that's around you, it's there. You just haven't noticed it. So that's why it's used, we say it's, it's a verb which implies like pay attention. So even sometimes like in classical text, a writer will be like, fa'lam, like no, be aware. So Allah says, wa'lamu anna fikum Rasulullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, be aware that in you, I'm just going to translate it literally, explain why, is the messenger of Allah. On Thursdays we talked about like, there are times where you have to interpret. Because if you were to like, just let the verse stay literal, it will make no sense. The word fi means to be inside. Uh, we say uh, in, in Arabic, fi is dharfiyah. It takes up space, it's, it's captured in something. So we say like, The water is in the, in, the, in the jar, or in the glass. So here literally Allah says, Know that inside you is the messenger of Allah. How the heck are you going to interpret that? Man? Messenger of Allah inside you? So my question is to you, is this a verse that demands interpretation or is this a verse that you can just roll with literally? I don't know. I'm the new guy. Is this verse like, the messenger of Allah is inside you? That's the literal meaning of it. So is this a verse where like, we're just going to roll with the literal? Or we're forced to interpret. That's my question. And then you have to tell me why. I'm not just going to let you like give an answer. Yes, sir. Why you always bail him out, man? You always bail him out, bro. Mashallah, you guys should give him like a prize, like at the end, like for bailing everybody out every time. So if we, if we interpret it literally, it would indicate the Prophet literally is inside of you as a physical being, perhaps, and that makes no sense. So you want to interpret it in the sense that's perhaps more metaphorical, uh, indicating maybe the Prophet is with you, or, you know, in a deeper sense than physically being within you, because otherwise it would be absurd. So you're saying, like, you have to interpret it because if you took it literally... It would be absurd. Like, it would be absurd, right? Pasasam is like physically inside you. Exactly. So then what do you think are like some possible interpretations for the messenger of Allah is inside you? Fikum. It's, it's kind of cool too. Like he didn't say fi Abi Bakr. Fi Omar. Fi Aisha. Fi Ali. Like, it didn't just mention, like, the good people. Like, oh, the Messenger of Allah is, like, in Ali and in Aisha and in, like, you know, all the awesome people. So the Messenger of Allah is with every single one of you. 
right? So there's like some cool stuff happening here. But how do you interpret that, man? That's the question. We're going to have to break up in cooperative groups. <laughs> yes? Isn't it, uh, I mean, like, if he is among you and he was talking, like, that this virus really is within you or in your community is among you and you that that definitely that definitely could be you? that could definitely be a, a possible interpretation. Yeah, for sure. Like he's with you to the extent that it's like he's inside you, right? All right. What else? It's like it's also. Um, I mean, Allah wants to say. I mean, it's gonna be interpret like. Yeah, no, that would that would be like min amfusikum, like from you. This is saying like he's inside you. But still, it's okay. It's like not a wrong answer. It's just, I see where you're coming from. It's nice. Sure, yeah. Don't be shy. Like everybody here knows. Like it could be that because we follow him and he is our role model. Then he is like, and you are following everything that he does. Then you are, it's like him. You are him. You are. He's within you. He's always your consciousness. Always when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how would he look at me if I do this, or how, how would Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam do this? I should be doing. I should follow the same thing. So it's within my consciousness. His Sunnah. I mean. Mm, like so, you've like embodied him to the point where certain religious notions, maybe over these thirteen years, you've like habituated character to the point where you're like embodying the prophet's teachings. That's very powerful. Uh, yes, yes, brother in the back. Yeah, like he knows you well enough, as though like he's in you. So there's like, there's, there's a relationship there. It's not distant from you. All right? Yes, sir. So uh, I think Rasulullah is uh, the ultimate goodness, and all of us has this kind of like light and goodness inside of us. So this ayah is just like encouraging us to just like search about like what is the goodness within that's beautiful. So, like, maybe with inside each and every one of you is prophetic capacity, right? You're not a prophet, but like, you have the ability. You know, like, you, you have the potential to live up to a set of prophetic ideals, right? And we believe original goodness. Right? Hadith says, like, everybody's born basically good. And then they're socialized, you know, different things happen. So maybe amongst, maybe, and that would make sense maybe in this verse, because the verses that came before it, there's like rebuke. Like, why are you yelling in front of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam? Like, why are you guys acting so ratchet? Fikum Rasulullah. 
right? You, you have the ability to be better. So that could be, that's very beautiful, actually. You know, have some confidence, you know, even though you're being rebuked for your bad behavior, you, you have the potential. It's there. Nice. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, like, you're, you're accountable, right? Like, you know it so well, it's like it's in you. Yeah? Nice. Isn't it much better when you learn Quran like this than just being told, like, this is what it means, okay, next verse. You know? Um, I mean, if you say something crazy, Imam Khad will check you. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Anyone else? Yes? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's impossible for any of us to be the prophet, of course, right? Or prophetic in that way, in the complete sense of the word. But each and every one of us may have components in our personality that are prophetic, you know? Um, someone who's, like, taking on social justice issues, like the component of justice, right? Someone that's working to create sustainability in his or her life and in the community, prophet was a businessman. He was a successful businessman. The prophet as a teacher, the prophet as a father, the prophet as a general, the prophet as a leader, the prophet as a pastor. So maybe each and every one of us can embody at certain times in certain contexts certain prophetic character better than other people. Nice. So there's a real there's a, those are all like really amazing actually, mashallah. Um, there's also a really nice explanation that I heard from, uh, from one of my teachers that, you know, uh, in Arabic it's called isti'aru bil ahruf. I don't know how to explain it in English, so forgive me, but it's like a rhetorical device where you try to say, like, you want to show someone knows you so well and that they're so close to you and they care about you so much, it's like they're in you. And, and, and the Quran says, النَّبِيُّ أَوْلَى بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَأَزْوَاجُ right? Quran says the Prophet is closer to you than you are to yourself. So the idea here is also there's a sense of love, man. There's a sense of a relationship that's based on like closeness and care. You know, the Prophet created a community that felt loved and valued. Oftentimes we want to have religious communities without value and love. We want to have religious communities based on authority and fear. Uh, and no doubt, I know someone like me when I was little, I probably needed fear. You know, he was a gang member uh, more than, than love. Um, and perhaps in that fear, my grandma used to say, I love you, that's why I'm getting mad at you. But how many times did the prophet tell people that he loved them in his community? Like openly. You know, Sayyidina Mu'adh, like the prophet told him he loved him so many times, he started to freak out, man. You know, uh, a Tirmidhi relates, he's a scholar, that, you know, 
one time after prayer, and Mu'adh was a young person, he actually died of the, bu- the plague in Syria. Um, but he, he's walking like after prayer, and the prophet calls his name in front of like everybody, man. You know, so it's like really embarrassing because he's like young. You know, usually when an elderly person calls your name, you probably did something wrong. So, ya Mu'adh. Oh, Mu'adh. And then he said, like, I got scared. And he was like, Labbaika, Ya Rasulullah, wa Sa'adik. Like, yes, O Messenger of Allah. Wallahi, inni uhibbuk. And then the Prophet, like, said in front of everybody, I love you. You're like, when did that happen in our mosque, man? <laughs> it's a very powerful moment. And then he said, like, one time, and, you know, Mu'adh is, is, is a single mother home. So you, you can imagine just having like a powerful male figure in your life to reaffirm you as a young man and to tell you like he loves you. Like now we see like like the greatness of the Prophet. And and then he said like the Prophet would take me riding on his donkey. Man. He said, Kuntu radiftu ma'a You know, like I was riding on a donkey with a messenger of Allah. And he said, like, I was really freaking out, I got scared. It's like a young guy. And the Prophet said, Ya Mu'adh. Yeah. The Prophet would like say this with, with his wife, Aisha. You know, one day he was sitting with Sayyidah Fatima, his daughter, alayhi salam. And he said, Atuhibini ma'uhib. Like, do you love what I love? She said, Yeah. He said, Fahibi hadihi. And he said, Then you should love Aisha. He said it in front of everybody. Like, there was no shame in his game. And the Prophet said, like, if you love someone, you should tell them that you love them, right, for the sake of Allah. So the Prophet, like, cares about these people. And he invests in people. Um, There was a man that used to pray in his mosque, and his name is even unknown. He was, like, an important person, man. And, And the Prophet, he had a son. So the Prophet noticed that his son wasn't coming to prayer anymore. So he said, like, what happened to his son? And then somebody told him that your son died, his son died. And then the Prophet told him, ask him to come. So he came to the Prophet and he said, you know, I just want to let you know that your son is waiting for you. He refuses to enter paradise until he sees you. You know, um, there was a number of Sahabiyat women in Medina who Prophet would visit regularly just to check on them, authentic narrations. Umm uh, al you know, she had a miscarriage. And the Prophet he noticed like she wasn't around. So he began to ask, like, where's Umm al And they told him, like, you know, she lost her child. So, of course, like, this is a very powerful thing for a woman to experience. The Prophet goes to her house. He sits down. This is the Prophet now, is the pastor talks to her and her husband and she's like really distraught and then the prophet says to her you know as you struggle to keep this baby from being dragged from your womb I don't know how to translate it sorry um, this baby will drag you to Jannah right and then she's like touched right so the prophet we, we, we sometimes fail to appreciate like what made people respect him is like he cared about them. And they actually felt value being around him. 
uh, and that's not an easy thing to do. Like you really have to invest in people. So when it says, Rasulullah, it means like the Prophet loves you so much and he has so much concern for you, it's like he's inside you. Like he knows you. And also it says that because when you think about what just happened, you know, people just got checked hard, man. I <laughs> mean, like, like, all your deeds are going to be canceled. Like, most these people have no common sense, right? So you're hearing these verses. If you're those people, you're like, man, this prophet doesn't know me. This prophet's tripping, whatever. Know that the prophet is there for you. And that's why we tell, like, a lot of our, our imams and content providers, some of the young guys, uh, young women coming back to our communities like you got to love your community before you can serve them man. Like you really have to learn and how you gonna love people you got to know them So you have to spend like time with them you have to build with them You have to experiment with them you have to go together right? You have to realize like the Knicks are a hopeless bunch of people You know and then you see the greatness of the Celtics and then you learn to love me Learn to care about you and then we talk about the Giants and it's all over but the point is, like, you have experiences together, and you appreciate one another. Our communities, one of the biggest challenges that we have is we're great at educating our community. Um, we're great at raising money, but we really don't have moments of, like, human vulnerability, man, where, like, we're able to, like, bond in a meaningful way. And I'll give you an example. So Yasser, this is my boy right here, Yasser, we used to be... In California together so he probably forgot about this but I remember one day we were going to San Francisco to eat some healthy food and because of course what else would you eat in San Francisco so that was when lasers came out Lupe's album lasers um, and I I was in Egypt so I was still thinking like you know in a different mindset at that time as far as Islam and I remember Yasser said, like, you know, Usain McCannon said that Lupe will do more for Islam in one day than any scholar alive today. So I, at the time, I was like, I got upset, man. <laughs> you know? But then, because I know Yasser, and, and, and I know where he's coming from, I was like, you know what? That's true. So that, I don't know if you remember this conversation. But like, that conversation stayed with me because Yasser and I, like, we love each other. I think so. Like we have a good relationship. So one of the things I think you have to think about here at the IC is like, I don't think every Tuesday night we should have class. Like We should go kick it, man. I mean, I know I'm old, so I understand if you want to hang out with me. And my wife is 10 years younger than me, so she's still cool. She's an ex-ennial. Uh, I let her in the Generation X club. But like, we should also do things where we're like, we create a sense of knowing each other. Right? And then that, that lends to like understanding who we are and appreciating each other, inshallah. So next semester, we're going like, to do some like, field trips. Do like Tuesday night field trips, inshallah. Uh, designed to like, help us like, create moments where we, you know, like, we care about each other. Man. We have to know each other's history. Man. Have to know where people come from. Appreciate our, our uniqueness. The Prophet knows people. I had a teacher in Egypt, by the way, who was assigned to a village in Africa, right, um, in Central Africa, 
Egypt, of course, is in northwestern Africa. And he went to this village, and there was like already some preachers there who had been sent to this village. It was like a village of, of Muslim brothers and sisters that had been kind of neglected for a long time. So they had been requesting, like, send like, some people to teach us. So he said, I got there, and, you know, 60% of the community were not even Muslim. And I met these preachers, and they were just yelling at the Muslim community how everything they were doing was wrong. Your women ain't dressed right, your men ain't dressed right, your kids are, like, listening to Ricky Martin or whatever his name is. Like, everything's out of touch, man. And they were just wailing these people. And then they went to my teacher, and they're like, we just don't understand why they won't listen to us. So his response, he was an old man. He said, how many of them do you know their kids' names? Like, man, they don't know their kids' names. He's like, well, that's kind of like a problem. Like, you don't know their kids' names? He's like, how many of them do you know actually know their names? They're like, like, you know, the guy who picks up from the airport. Like, we know his name. So he, he said to them, you guys should just go back home, man. Like, because you're doing more damage than good. So then I asked him, what would you do? He said, the next year, I just ate a lot. I just went to people's houses, man. Like everybody invited me, I'd go, and I would like get to know their families, the grandmas, the uncles, the kids, the un- you know, aunts, everybody, on a first name basis. So he's like, I knew that before I talked about religion, I should be able to walk in the market and know everybody's name. So I did that, and then after that, they started coming to me and asking me questions. Right? And then, and then they trusted me. So the point he's trying to say is, like, there's social efficacy here. So when he says, That means, man, the Prophet knows you. And you know him. Right? There's, like, some kind of connection there that's a social connection. Why do all the Prophets, when they start talking to people in the Quran, how do they start? What's the first thing they say? Ya qawmi, my people. Now, we as a community, we got peoples. And, and, and we need to appreciate the fact, like, Chad Earl in Indiana, Indiana may have to, like, talk differently to his people than maybe I talk to my people in Oklahoma. In Brooklyn, we may talk differently to people than in Harlem. So we have peoples in our community. And we need to facilitate the ability to speak to our peoples through each other. Like, you know your community? Better than me, I trust you. But we have to be invested in people's lives, man. We have to take the time to get to know them. So it says, Man, how much the Prophet love you guys, man. I talked about it a little bit on Friday. Um, and, and, and it's actually really remarkable that in the height of his professional success, he remembers you. Usually at the height of our professional success, we're like, what? Who? I'm good. But we know that the Prophet ﷺ on the night of Isra and Mi'raj, he spoke to his Lord, he spoke to God, it's considered the greatest moment in his prophethood. And at that moment, he remembered you guys, he made dua for you guys. We know that when he was offered the chance to make a special prayer that will be accepted, he said, I delayed it for my community. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like, there's that selflessness of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, Now, how would you take this verse and apply it to a 14-year-old Muslim girl who's anorexic? 
and wants to look like someone that has 6% body fat. And she feels like Islam's not relevant to me. What the Prophet has given is irrelevant. Because when it says fikum, it doesn't only mean the Sahaba, it means you. Because we have an axiom that says al ibratu bil ma'ani, and we say it's al ibrabi which means like the meaning of the Quran stays general, even if the context is specific, ninety-five percent of the time. So when it says wa'lamu anna fikum, it didn't say fi ashabik. Amongst you is the messenger of Allah. So now you got this young teenage girl who's an Anna. Y'all know about them Annas, man. And, and she's struggling with body image, construction of body. She fails to realize that Instagram, those videos on Instagram are like, what, like you know, human beings are awesome. Whenever you watch the human being, I was with my wife there, they watch this human beings are awesome thing. You know what I'm talking about? I was like, I feel horrible. Like some human beings are awesome, but not me. Like I can't do flips on a surfboard. Like, I wish I could, you know what I mean? And she may be being impacted by the construction of beauty. Um, young men, right, really struggling on certain emotional levels. And they're going to tell you, like, how is Islam relevant for me? How do you explain that, maybe in the light of this verse? Well, the Prophet says, Salam is what? How would you explain that to that young Muslim? He says, look, man, I live in America, man. Meek Mill just got falsely in prison, man. What does Islam have for me? How is that relevant in my life? Maybe they've run into like really bad religious leadership like that made them feel bad or intimidated them. How are you going to like function now as a equalizer when you talk to this person in the face of this, ver this verse? You could say to them, Ain't nothing you're running into except the messenger of Allah left us something about it. There's something there for there's hope in this verse. That's why Allah says next, But let me explain what I just said earlier. In the Quran, when it uses these words like you, they, we, we have an axiom for understanding the Quran that says, the specific nature of the context does not restrict the generality of the meaning. So that means that that verse can be applied to everybody. Not just the people that the verse was sent to. Usually. Usually. Right? Usually. Like, for example, You know, don't come to prayer when you're drunk. When I was a convert, we had this brother. He used to come to prayer lit. Like, he would be smoking weed. And the sheikh was like, what are you doing? He's like, I, didn't, I ain't coming to prayer. You know what I mean? Like, he says, don't come to prayer drunk. The sheikh was like, no, man. This, I mean, you can smoke weed outside of prayer, dude. Like, so he obviously kind of misunderstood the verse. God forgive him and bless him. He tried his best, hey. And he had a lot of fun doing it. But, you know, it was an innocent mistake. But in general, we say it stays applicable to everybody. So when it says that the messenger of Allah is in you, it doesn't just mean the Sahaba. It means everybody. So there's something there. It goes back to the idea of there's something prophetic in our lives that each and every one of us can potentially uncover. We talked about that on, on Sunday with our, our graduate students. So, Allah. He didn't say, and if you speak Arabic, it didn't say, Allah. In Arabic, you say, Andak. So, he's with you. 
It said, Feek. He's inside you. Dharfiya. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Law yuti'ukum fi kathirin min al-amri la'anittu. Allah says, you know, and if the Prophet listened to a lot of what you guys say, he's talking now to the Sahaba, and in particular talking about Omar and Abu Bakr, and when they were fighting and arguing in front of him, وسلم, it would actually harm people. Like, if the Prophet was to make a decision just based on kind of this trivial argument that's happening between you, instead of making a decision based on like leadership and principles, it will be harmful. It says, but God has made faith beloved to you. There's another qira'ah, لَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمْ إِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ And beautified it in your heart. The word zina in Arabic actually means ziyada, an increase. The idea is like, there's a value to this. There's a value prop if you're in business. What's the value prop of the Muslim community to America now? You know, you ask non-profits, what is your value prop? to the communities that you live in. And they will give you, and I, I'm saying this respectfully, a pie-in-the-sky theological answer. Man, people ain't got time for that right now. Like, if you have a black child in this country and you have to warn that child about the police, I'm trying to get beyond pie-in-the-sky right now, dude. If you're a woman, you work in a place where you feel threatened, as we're seeing now every day, it's like a new announcement. I need some kind of commitments to things that are going to immediately bring benefit to my life. If you're a man in this community, you're trying to accomplish certain things and you constantly find injustice. You know, being a Muslim man, there's a lot of pressure being a Muslim man in America. People don't talk about it. You know, it's ni nice getting stopped at the airport for three and a half hours every time I come back into this country with my wife, right? I was denied an Australian visa just a week ago. I'm like, ICE is trying to kill me, man. Like, I ain't the guy. You know, that kind of stress, that kind of pressure affects our manhood as men. Those are all challenges. So Allah says, Like in the face of all that, you have ziyada. Allah has added the value prop is that for some reason, Islam is beautiful to you. Faith has been made beautiful to you. And that's why you find people who became Muslim in the time of the Prophet or people who became allies of the Muslim community very rarely did so because of Tawheed. It's very important to understand this. There were a lot of people who became Muslim because one God is one God. But then you find people say like, you know, Ajwad nas The Prophet's like super generous, man. There's a value prop in there. Mu'allafat al-qulub. When you hear some of the great companions of the Prophet talk about their lives with the Prophet. They'll talk about the institution of marriage. And how like marriage was made, made more equitable for people. You hear them talk about inheritance laws. You hear them talk about the first thing he did when he came into Medina, which no one talks about, is drain the swamp in Medina. Why would he drain the swamp in Medina? Because people were getting sick. Like there's a value prop to this. So Allah says, Meaning, you were shown something great about this religion that made it beautiful to you. That's why it's called zina. 
So he made it beloved to you. And if we're going to talk about loving something and then constantly finding value in it, when I love something and I constantly find value in it, then that means I'll be consistent in my attachment to it. So when Allah says that he made faith beloved to you and he made it, the translation is awkward, it decorated it for you. Decorated doesn't really get the meaning. The meaning is made it to the point where you're like, you're constantly finding something beautiful in it. So when Allah talks about the heavens, he says, وَلَقَدَ زَيَّنَّ السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا Like we made the heavens beautiful. Like no one gets tired of looking at the stars, man. Every time you look up, here it's hard to see the stars. But you know, if you get the opportunity, you're like, wow. How many times you did that in your life? A million times, don't matter. That's Zena. Zena is something that you always look at it, you find, you find value and attraction to it. So Allah says, وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ That faith has been made beautiful to you. It's been made something that you're constantly finding beauty in it when you look at it. And disbelief and sin and oppression have been made hated to you by God. It's very powerful. Yes. So I'm reading the Abdul Halim translation. So right before this, his translation says, In many matters you would certainly suffer if you were to follow your wishes. How do we, I guess, understand? Is that our propensity? Is that like not correct or not the word correct. No, maybe he's translating it from a different way. If he, the prophet, was to obey you. But maybe he's reading it differently. You know, I'm very careful about after RIS last year. You know what I'm saying? Correcting people. So, and if the prophet was to disobey you or to listen to you, to follow you. He's a great scholar, so I'm sure he sees it different. You should ask him. Hit him up. Yeah, no, I'm just wondering if... Uh, okay, yeah. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's good. Good question. So, Allah says that he made disbelief hated to you. He made sin hated to you. And he made uh, oppression and evil hated to you. So we learned something about the ideal community. That the ideal community of the Prophet ﷺ and those who come after them are those who should value goodness, value faith, value values, right? Have a distaste for rejecting faith, have a distaste for evil and sin and oppression. That's the, and that's why Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَهُمُ rashidu, Right? These are people that were guided. The word rushed in Arabic actually means that someone was about to do something like, they are about to careen their car into like a, a, a wall, and suddenly they were guided away from doing it, that's what we call rushed, that action. Fahad al-Rashid. Someone protected, they're about to fall into something wrong, and they were given the best option and they followed it. That's Rashid, the one that was guided. That's why Allah says, Fadlan min Allahi wa ni'mah. We talked about this on Wednesday nights, that the fadl of Allah, everything that comes to do with faith in our lives, sin and evil, is rooted either in the the blessing of God or the justice of God. We talked about it on Thursdays. So Allah says, Fadlan min Allahi. What that means is because when you hear this, you may ask the question like, man, 
how did this happen? Like, how am I someone who loves faith and finds beauty in faith and doesn't find beauty in other things? Fadla min Allah. This is a blessing from God. Something that was granted to you. Wa And ni'ma is different. They're both translated like as blessing. Fadla means ziyada. Also, the word fadla means like to go beyond normal. That's why when you're like in the Arab world, you say what? Tafa. Tafadl. Right? Take from my excess. You're not bothering me. You can even take from my excess. Like, don't worry about the basics. That's already done. But whatever you need, I got you. That's why it's called tafadl. Fadla. Fadla min Allahi wa ni'ma. But the word ni'ma is different. It means a blessing that you can enjoy. A blessing that's going to bring peace to you. A blessing that's going to give you nu'ama. A sense of security and tranquility. Fadla min Allahi wa ni'ma. Wallahu alimun hakim. And Allah is the all-knowing, the wise. Now the chapter changes. Because this page, second page of Surah Hujurat, is talking about like harmful behavior. And you find it almost kind of going in like a hierarchy. So the first real sense of harm is, is like news information. And جَاءَكُمْ فَاسِقٌ بِنَبَئٍ فَتَبَيَّنُوا like verify information like just don't like listen to everything man can you imagine this is before fake news man this is before collusion one can only imagine there's a good book Neil Portman like amusing ourselves to death like how much freaking information we're exposed to every day are we able really to verify the information and then it moves on to the idea of like physical harm and it says something really cool. I'm going to ask you guys a question. It says, if two parties of the believers fight, make peace between them. Translation is kind of hard. I don't know how he translated, translates it, but the word is and that means they want to fight each other. It's not like it happened as an accident. No, like they want to fight each other. Then bring goodness between them. Solve the problem. Here's my, here's my question. Who's being described as fighting each other here? What's the subject of the verb fighting? Does it say when ta'ifatani min al muslimin or min al nas when some Muslims fight each other, when some people fight each other? It says what? Wa in ta'ifatani min al mu'minin when who fight fight each other? The believers, man. Can the believers fight each other? And this is talking about physical harm. I'm just throwing it out there as a question. What do you mean, can? Like, can we believe that someone could be a believer in fighting another believer? Yeah, but here Allah is saying, 
at the time they're fighting their believers. Iqtatalu at that moment. That's the hadith of Ibn Abbas you're talking about. You know, the hadith, a believer doesn't believe why they steal, a believer doesn't believe why they commit zina, a believer doesn't believe. But here it's saying, like, these believers are trying to kill each other. What's a lesson we take from that? Very powerful lesson mentioned by uh, a number of really interesting scholars. Just throwing it out there. See if someone can like, catch it. You know that believers can commit major sins. That believers can make major mistakes. So don't kill yourself over major mistakes. So this verse, there's a lot of discussion about it in classical texts, but the one that comes out very beautifully is like, you can still make major mistakes and be a believer, man. Even to the point of fighting each other. Yes, sir. Just two questions. When we're talking about fighting, in what sense are we talking about that? And is this one of those verses that's particular, or is it more generalized? The verse, no, this is a general verse. It has a general application. Uh, it's actually been misused a lot. Um, you know, uh, we'll talk about that maybe next week, but it's talking about physical warfare, man. But there's a point here in usul al-fiqh that it means any type of dispute. But usually when you think of, like, disputes, what's the worst dispute you can imagine? Like, armed combat, right? So you, this is called Fahul Khitab. The Quran will mention the most like extreme example so that everything underneath it is automatically kind of shuffled into the ruling. So it doesn't mean just like they're physically fighting or they're like drawn swords to one another, but any type of dispute that falls underneath this is automatically part of what we're going to talk about now. If two parties or parties of ta'ifa, the word ta'if means like people from like three to nine, means a group of people. But it could be here metaphorically, any group of people, right, that are fighting one another. Minamu'minin, from the believers. Why would it say min? To emphasize. So when ta'ifatan al-mu'minuna, right, in Arabic, people might be like, well, maybe at that time they're not believers. Maybe at that moment they're not believers, but here one ta'ifatani mina Right? To emphasize, like, these are definitely believers at the moment they did this. Take a lesson that believers can fight each other. Believers are going to have issues. Uh, believers may have serious problems with one another, even to the extent we ask a lot of protectors where there's physical confrontation. Seek to fight each other. Then you must immediately try to solve this problem. Conflict resolution. Yes, sir. Case in point, the um, Saudi's conflict versus Yemen. Is that a good example here? I mean, because the Saudi's conflict versus Yemen is just a one-sided festival of destruction. Like, masses of Yemeni people are fighting the Saudis. And maybe a little bit of a one-sided example. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily take someone out of Iman. 
talked about that last week. So someone could have arrogance and still be a believer, right? So that's a discussion. Uh, they're, they're, no one would say they're out of Islam, but they would say like they're cruising for a booze. <laughs> they're in trouble, <laughs> because um, because they scholars are very careful about declaring people apostates. And we see now why. Um, what happened with certain groups? You know, just killing Muslims indiscriminately. Declaring them as apostates, right? So, but there is a discussion about the idea of killing as being as the Prophet said, The Prophet said that killing a believer is a form of disbelief. So most scholars said what that means is a disbelief, a, an act of disbelief, but not a negation of iman. Kufr amali. Yes, sir. Would we say this is particularly relevant after the Prophet passed away? Kind of the After the Prophet passed away, Syria right now. Um, but I mean, with yeah. the, within, the, Rabbah, within you know, the Sahaba, the fact that... Most definitely, have... most definitely, the, 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 the Battle of Safin. Um, Ammar ibn Yasser is killed, most definitely. The Ahl al-Bayt of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it's a genocide that happens. Yes. <coughs> Yes, brother, you had your hand up. Uh, is there a relationship between intentionality and faith and this sort of thing, fighting? Yeah, I mean, if someone's forced to fight under duress, um, there's discussions about that in the books of Islamic law. Um, you'd have to be able to really prove that they were under duress. Could it also be like if two parties have good intentions but different intentions, but both are good? Yeah, and also here, the Prophet said, Prophet said, if two believers meet, two Muslims meet with their swords, the killer and the killed are in hell. Doesn't mean they're not believers, but it means they could be punished for their sins. We talked about this on Thursday. Believer could go to hell, right? Someone who believes may be punished for their sins in the next life. So most definitely, so the, the Sahaba asked him. You know, we know the guy that killed him, like, why well, he's in hell, but why is the, ki- the killer in hell? He said, Like, his intention was to kill the other guy. So most definitely intentionality is there. The intentionality is there. So it's powerful. It's a good verse, man. And then it talks about what we can do to try to uh, rectify the situation. Here's a question I ask, I'm going to ask you guys. Any any conflict resolution folks in here? Nice. Alright, good. Oh, alhamdulillah. All the married people, what's their name? <laughs> it's not that deep, man. Relax. Watch the, watch the view, man. You learn all the answers. Why doesn't it prescribe how to solve the problem? It says, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا If they fight, solve the problem. Right? Islah means to take something that was bad and to make it good. Why doesn't it give details like, do this, 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 Why doesn't it mention like Arab tribal law, like Bedouin code? And also, why doesn't it forbid anything? It doesn't say what to do. 
It doesn't say what not to do. It just says, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اقْتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا If these parties of believers fight, make peace between them. Islah means to repair something that was broken or corrupted. Why doesn't prescribe how to do it? Yes, ma'am. Situations are different. You you want to share something? Yes. So if, if the Qur'an had prescribed something, it may kind of undermine the Qur'an's claim that it's like Rahmah, that it has answers to everything, because these situations tend to be, tend to be correct me if I'm wrong, combustible, um, extremely sensitive, right? So you've got to be able to have a large range of skills at your disposal to employ. So here we learn something from this verse. فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا is a dalil for urf. Is it evidence for custom? And recognizing sometimes that customs have to be utilized to solve problems and bring solutions. It's actually very powerful. The first PhD done in Azhar, I think I told you guys, in 1922 was on custom in Islamic law. How custom plays out. So maybe how we solve problems in Oklahoma is like different than how they solve problems in, you know, Ma'adi. In Egypt, maybe how they solve problems in Baluchistan is different than Karachi. So Allah says, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Solve these problems. But he, what even Hazm called, الْمَسْكُوتُ عَنْهَا Right? The Sharia left it to the, to the parties involved. So it says, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى And then if one of the other parties refuses, and they continue... Um, to physically harm the other group, فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي حَتَّى تَفِيءَ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ Yes, ma'am. Can you build on that? I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I mean, most definitely. And that, that's why it's interesting with this verse. A verse is talking about conflict resolution, fighting. And then you find, like, theologians are all over this verse. 
Right? So you find like, the theologians are the ones who wrote like the most. The jurists are like, yeah, you know, if people fight, you just let their local custom solve the problem. Don't get too detailed with it. Just make sure that they don't do anything haram. Like if they're like, yeah, you know how we solve this? So I'm going to flip a coin and we're going to shoot the guy who picked heads. Okay, obviously, no, that's not going to happen, right? That was kind of like the jurist concern. Jurists are really quiet, interesting on this verse. But then you find theologians like Razi are just like the capacity of believers to do evil. Right? And then he just goes off on this tangent, which Razi always did. They said, Imam Razi, there's everything in his tafsir except tafsir. I mean, like, this just, like, keeps going, right? You're like, oh, what happened to the verse, man? So yes, no doubt, like, as a believer, also understand you have the capacity to do something which is not good. And you need to be aware of it. Right? And then if you see it happen with other believers, don't freak out. Right? It can happen. Is that what you're kind of saying? Nice. Yes, ma'am. Can I also just build on that? He's studying through three degrees between violence and nonviolence. And three degrees, I just got to repeat it for people. Three degrees between nonviolence and violence. Yeah, so every. So All these married people, again, they like. What are the three degrees? It's just, it's just like, it's not like actual degrees. It's just showing us how. Got it. How far apart the choice is between violence and violence. MashaAllah. Yes, sir. Could I ask, with respect to this imperative to reconcile two groups of believers, how does that play out in like today's Muslim community? Because there's a lot of issues. Which <laughs> we are, I think. So. Fighting in, yeah, in yeah, different yeah. senses. I don't. I don't know if I have an answer. What I can say is that um, I, I believe that we need to start thinking about a membership model, and um, a component of that membership may be like conflict resolution training. Sorry, I don't. Like larger mosques, right? We okay. know all of us grew up. I converted when I was young. We kind of grew up in these mosques where every year there's an election, so every year there's like a fight. The mosque that I grew up in, I swear to God, man, for the first three years, they would literally call the police on these two guys, uh, like, every five or six months. Like, the police would show up at, like, Maghrib Namaz, man. <laughs> like, and they, we got to, like, know them on first-name basis, you know, <laughs> like, Officer Richard, hey, what's up, man? Um, so I think that there needs to be, like, part of, part of Tasawwuf is conflict resolution and avoiding conflict unless it's absolutely necessary. Like, I don't think conflict is a bad thing. I think conflict is like indicative of passion. It can be bad, correct me if I'm wrong. But like, if there's an uncle who's like super passionate about his daughter not having to pray behind a wall, but there's like a girl who's like super passionate, not, that's kind of dope. Like, if there's another guy that's like passionate for the other position, I might not agree with him, but I'm glad he's passionate about his community. Right? That's better than apathy. Now, how do we, like, bring a grammar that helps us work that out? I think that's what we don't have. So, like, strong Christian communities and Jewish communities have conflict resolution training. Especially for board members, man. I'm serious. You know, and, uh, 
Katara's sister in DC, we actually brought her in with Center DC to like talk about doing conflict resolution training for ourselves. You know, I, I left, I came here. But I think this is something that should be considered. Like, to be in the Muslim community is to be really in the Times Square of churches. Like, ethnically, the diversity is like unparalleled. It's incredible. Our ethnic diversity is like awesome. But then it's like, you've really, it's like you gotta work at the State Department or something. Like, you really have to understand like some, some degree where people are coming from. Um, I find myself, even though I, 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 I and I'm not saying this, please, Pakistani people don't get mad at me. I'm gonna try to say this in a way that doesn't get me in any trouble. But like, I converted with Pakistanis and still like, every year I'm like, man, I learned something new about these people that's really cool. I learned something I never knew before. Even though I was around him for 25 years, right? So, and I'm sure they learned something new about Gorasahib. You know, like, that's just how it is. So there has to be the, rep the, the appreciation that our diversity, if not managed, can become a problem. Because we may be coming at things in, like, very different ways and seeing things in different kind of cultural paradigms. So I think, like, especially for boards, um, conflict resolution training, be something to consider. I guess I'm trying to understand my individual imperative when I encounter it. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. I think, I think in order, correct me again, like, I think in order to really solve conflict, oftentimes you need critical mass. I mean, this is a family conflict, it's a little different, but like, community conflicts tend to be, they splinter, and they, they even splinter into like little, you know, you got Winterfell over here, you got multiple kingdoms happening. So you've got to think about, like, again, I think it goes back to having some training, man. Like, I don't want to go into a fire if I don't have the blueprints to the house. You know? I, I, I think it's hard to solve conflict without really having any type of basic background in it. I don't, I don't think, please correct me, like, I don't think we appreciate how combustible conflict can become if it's not handled caringly. You know? It's hard, man. It's very difficult. So that, that would be my suggestion, you know, is to kind of familiarize myself with how to, like, solve problems, be a problem solver, and then maybe think about solving problems. If I don't have the ability to do something, I shouldn't do it. Yes, yes, ma'am, sorry. Conflict transformation. I like that better. It's nice. And that implies that maybe there's something positive that can come out of the conflict itself. And, and I have a problem with people say like, oh, just read the seerah. <laughs> just read the seerah. Man. Like, it's like, my car's broken. Just read the seerah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, don't, I don't have the ability to find that in the seerah because I don't have the background information to understand how to find that. I have a problem we tell people who are suffering with depression Read Quran. I, I, there, there's a set of optics that aren't there, man. Right? You're asking people, and they may actually lose faith because they thought, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to experience some kind of sudden miracle. Same thing with conflict. I think as Muslims, like, we feel like we should transform conflict, I guess is the word. Um, but if we don't know how to do it, we can't do it. 
but we may inadvertently contribute to the problem. So you find some of the Sahaba, during the conflict between the Sahaba, what did they do? Man, I don't know, man. I just don't know how to solve this problem. Abdullah Omar, he just goes back. He's like, I, I, I can't bring anything good to this. So it's better for me to avoid. You know? So is that how they would have understood this verse? That, like, you know, I, I have the imperative, but because I'm not equipped to handle it, I'm going to step back. Yeah. Maybe my participation is much more problematic than my silence. So we have an axiom uh, <laughs> in Islamic law. It says, Some, Sometimes the answer is silence. Because you might cause more harm with an answer. You may, you may project Islam into a place where it's not really supposed to be at this explicit level. Like when people ask me, like, you know, should I go to this school or not? I don't know. Like, what does Islam say about going to Brown or Harvard? Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, Islam doesn't want to jump into this situation for you. We don't want to turn this into a religious moment. Right? Do I eat it like honest chops or like... Swahib's place. It is Swahib's place. No, like you don't interject your Islamic law very similar to other legal systems that doesn't want to always have something to say. Right? So here, فَأَصْلِحُ بَيْنَهُمَا It leaves it. So that could be either by participation, if I feel that my participation may help uh, nuance and temper, correct me if wrong, like transform the passions on the side of the conflict into something better. Intervention that hasn't seemed to work very well, military intervention doesn't seem to solve conflict. Uh, you look at Macedonia till now since World War I. Or, I'm just not, it's not, I'm not going to bring anything good to this. I don't have anything to bring to this. That's humility. But the point is, بينهما, it, it leads it to community. So here we see something powerful in the Quran. Quran empowers communities to solve problems. It doesn't give them the answers to everything. If there's a fight between you, man, fix your, fix your junk, dude. Like, you handle it, right? It doesn't say do this, 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 this. So the idea here, and, and Abu Hassan Nadwi, he's a great scholar from India, he said, you know, when the Prophet used to dispatch people, he'd give them very few orders. Like, he, he wants them to, like, use their talents to discover themselves. Here also, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى فَقَاتِلُ لَتِي تَبَغِي حَتَّى تَفِيئَ إِلَى أَمْرِهَا Now, this part of the verse is talking about murder, killing, and sedition. And it says, but if they refuse, what's called أَحْلُ بَغَى like ISIS would be declared tradition, أَحْلُ بَغَى the problem with this terminology is that dictatorships in the Muslim world use it for everybody. So like in Egypt, you could be you know, an Islamist political party and you're called people of sedition. You could be a girl who wants to wear a bikini on the cover of Vogue and you're called seditious. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's no real clear definition of this. And that's why traditionally scholars were very, very careful how this term was used because they understood that dictators could use it against anybody. Ahlu Bagha. But here it says, if they are fighting and killing people, then you must fight them. Until they come back to the command of God. 
And even after that, if they come back and they amend for what they've done, then again solve the problem, but now it says bil'adl. Here's a question. I want you guys to think about it, we'll stop. The first, ver- the first part of the verse is said, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Like, if they're fighting, arguing, whatever, just like, just try to solve it. But now, if they've actually wronged people, and you've, you've had to react in a way that punishes them, any degree of punishment, right? The Quran now is talking about fighting. If they come back, and they atone for their mistakes, then also, solve the problem, but now it says, solve it bil'adl. Solve it and make sure you're just. What's the difference between the first one and the second one? The first one just says, like, just solve the problem. But then after they fought, killed, done some craziness, solve the problem, but make sure when you solve it, you stay just. Why would it say that? Yes. There'll be power imbalance, right? And, and maybe, Allah said to the companions of the Prophet, when you go back to Mecca, don't let your hatred cause you not to be just for those people, those people. Right? You may now be in a position of authority. And if you're in a position of authority, it kind of goes back to what you said. Maybe once you have authority, you may have now the potential not to be just. You may now have the potential to... And even you could justify, man, these people did this to me, they did this to me, they did this to me. So the Quran says, make sure, make sure that you stay just, even in this situation. Right? Again, the potential of privilege, the potential of power. In Allah Yuhibbul Muqasiteen, and the verse ends and says, God loves the people. And qist actually is like more than justice. I, mean, I don't know how to translate qist. Qist means like super just. Like, take into consideration everything that will keep it balanced. And we talked about this on, on, I think, Thursday nights, that one of the goals of, when you read classical Islamic text, was always this idea of keeping society stable, man. Right? Sometimes they, they bent over backwards in ways that may have not been healthy to do that. But there was this appreciation for stability in society and protecting people from injustice and anarchy. Uh, that's very, like, a common theme you find in the tradition. Next time, inshallah, because it's like Turkey Day now, uh, for those who celebrate Thanksgiving, for those who, in solidarity with Native Americans uh, and other people, don't celebrate Thanksgiving, alhamdulillah, for both, inshallah. Uh, but next week we'll start talking about I call this the Michelle Obama verse man bullying right bullying intimidation making fun of people um, chastising people and then the last page of this chapter um, after talking about outcomes so now it goes back to causes bullying making fun of people talking about people talking behind their backs and then the second the last page it starts to talk about bad assumptions and assumption is a very powerful thing in, in our tradition. Um, when you enter the College of Islamic Law, it's written on the door, Al-Fiqh min bab says like, Fiqh, science of Fiqh is a science of assumption. Like legal guesses. 
attempts at trying to get the right answer. So there are times when assumptions are encouraged when it comes to science, when it comes to knowledge, uh, if it's based on the proper research. But when it comes to interacting with one another, the Prophet said, Be careful of bad assumptions about each other. And we'll talk about what that means, inshallah. And then we'll finish the chapter, I think, the week after. And then we'll move to Surah Al-Jinn. MashaAllah. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to be there for that one. Surah Al-Jinn. And Surah Al-Jinn may take us throughout uh, spring. Inshallah, especially if we do some field trips. Inshallah. And we can go volunteer and like help some people out or something. If anyone has any places we can go and like actually do some real work, uh, if you can organize and let me know. Uh, we'll try to, I know we're going to Houston. Um, and I think we're opening it up to everybody now in December. And then in March, we're going to go to Chicago with Iman, if you guys know what is Iman, Inner City Muslim Action Network, and do like four or five days of organizing, learning about community organizing, learn about um, leading campaigns and communities, stuff that's very important um, for us to do, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum, jazakallahu khairan, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad, wa sallam alaykum.